McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hello Pompey fans and welcome to episode 196 of the PO Forecast. Hugh is unfortunately unwell this week, so you have myself, Andy, taking on hosting responsibilities and doing the the linking bits. But we do have one of our returning co-hosts, as always, the Pompey Confucius with a beard like that and wisdom coming out of your ears. It is Freddie Webb. Freddie, how are you, buddy? Oh, I'm not so bad, Andy. I did make it back from the Isle of Wight alive, so that's that's probably the most notable thing that's to come out of this, to be honest. And Westside is uh, is the place to be. I think we all so, know that. What, so, so not Ride or Benbridge or Shanklin. Your words, and Fred. a bit of and a bit of Sandown in the middle. Also joining us on the podcast this week is the man who we've recently found out. One of my friends gets to decide whether or not he passes his psychology modules at university, which is wonderful news for me and less good news for him and possibly even worse news for my friend who has to lecture him over the course of the next two years. Jack Hancock, welcome back to the podcast. How are you, my friend? Look, I'm a delight with Russell this week. This year, sorry. Last year, awful. I, I was awful. But yeah, unlike Freddie, I'm a big fan of Black Gang Chine. Lovely place. They found the Isle of Wight. There was a little uh, place in Ride called the Jolly Roger, I think. They do a lovely swag bowl, from what I remember, when I was about nine years old. So yeah, no slagging off with uh, Isle of Wight, please, Freddie. That's disgraceful. Ride is Ride, and Shanklin's got, Shanklin's got a lot of shops in it. Ride's good until it gets until, I don't know, gets to about 10pm, and then is Balcony still there above? No, you're shrugging. Okay. I moved off the Isle of Wight in about 2013, so or 2014 ish so uh my knowledge of the place is very outdated but... it's, like the, it's like the last days of rome at times at right so uh, anything can happen <laughs> so what's the equivalent jack what's the peak of the Isle of white empire if uh, if you've got the last days of rome what's the equivalent um, of when they sort of reached the north of england i mean black gang chines up there especially in the uh, early noughties when i was a, a wee child i used to go over there on holidays uh, there was a big white cliff that we used to camp at from what I remember correctly, Whitecliffe Bay. It's in the name. That's I'd say Whitecliffe Bay is up there. I remember when I was little, I used to go through the rock pools, and I found a very little toy train that was Thomas the Tank Engine, and and yeah, that was it. Peaked at, at Whitecliffe Bay. I mean, Carisbrook Castle's a high point. We've got to give Osborne House a shout out as well. Some classic historical stuff. Overrated, there. overrated. What the castle or the house? All of it. Unbelievable. Mainly the okay. house. It's just a little house. Isn't it? Record the two hundred episode of the podcast out of out of Carisbrook Castle. That'd be great. On location. What, four o'clock in the morning doing like a ghost haunted... It's got to be haunted, Cashbrook Castle, hasn't it? It's one of those you places. You could get some... Cl- get, 
get Hugh on the phone. You could get some ideas out of this. A little little ghost hunt at Carisbrook Castle. That's just so on brand with how we do the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Suddenly becomes a, par- a paranormal pod. I could get on board with that. Uh, anyway, we should probably talk about some football, I guess. Portsmouth, still top of the league, nine games into the season. That's one game more than we managed last season when we were top after eight before we started uh, making our way down the table. In this week, we I guess we're going to review the, the Lincoln game. It's probably a sensible place to start before we move on to general Portsmouth news for the week. And then we have visiting from the Wigan Athletic podcast, Progress with Unity. We have Barry joining us to give a preview of what we can expect away against Wigan this weekend. Okay, boys, Lincoln at home. Normally when we do a match review, we start off with, yeah, this is how the game started and we lead seamlessly into the first goal of the game. On this occasion, both of those things seem to overlap. Jack, do you want to talk us through your, I guess, your your step-by-step of the goal we concede very early doors going a goal down again? Yeah, I mean, I talked about it in um, kind of leading up to the game and I, I mentioned missing Connor Ogilvy because I thought it'd be a, a big miss to be honest and some people disagreed some agreed which is fine and then the lineup came out and I was I was very concerned by the left-hand side because neither Jack Sparks nor Abu Kamara great players sure but not great defending wide areas or in block defence and lo and behold Jack Sparks gets dispossessed dispossessed mispos- dispossessed and then, you know, it's a bit of a fluke in a way. Like, I think Will Norris gets unlucky because I think it might take a knockoff of Connor Shocknessy. And then it, it kind of goes into the top corner. But but yeah, just unlucky, really. Um, these things happen, but the response was great, which was the important thing. Watching that goal back, Freddie, just to touch on the, the possible deflection there. I've watched that goal back quite a few times now. I still can't really work out the trajectory of the ball. It's a very strange goal to concede. Are you on the, the sort of the school of thought that maybe Norris... On another day, does better there, or do you think it's a deflection? You write it off as a one of those ones that's a bit of a freak deflection, kind of like with our equaliser that was the same. I just think it's freak, freak deflection, to be honest. Um, very strange one. Obviously, there was a bit of I wouldn't say bad defending, but it was clear how Lincoln had set up in their three four three. They wanted to not sit back, not like put ten men behind the ball or anything, but set up in a solid unit and then press in specific scenarios and then counter-attack, which is what they did here with Sparks being dispossessed. I think it's just a I think it was Shaughnessy or Shaughnessy, sorry, who tried to clear it away. Adelkin got his foot on it. Strange loop over the keeper. It was quite unlucky, really. Sorensen did really well to dispossess the ball, which which was a great thing. And he was probably one of Lincoln's better players, I think, on that on that slot which caused problems to the right left hand side in some scenarios so yeah I think it was a fluke to be honest I wouldn't go too far into it really if you want a little peek before peek behind the PO forecast curtain Andy is currently holding a hamster Adamida the hamster um, and I was very concerned that Andy was eating something and then I saw it was a hamster and I got extremely worried and this is what happens when you know I hop on there's just animal murder Adamida running rampant in the Mitchell Moore household. Who's who? Who? What's, that, what's the name? Adamida. Well, it well, sounded you, like you. It sounded like you were sharing about Adamida earlier. It was very confusing. Very Norwich's finest. Her name is Gida, and as she does every single week, she has started eating through the floor of our outside area because she knows it means that I pick her up and handle her, so she can talk into the microphone. What an attention seeker! And is currently eating my microphone cover which is oh she's clung oh she's clung on there anywho I thought you wanted to chime in with something related to the football Jack which is why I threw to you there no uh, I, I've, I've got nothing else on that just I've learned my lessons are great yeah. excellent yeah so to 
sidetrack briefly into the Lincoln game before I get bitten with my my camera uh, with my microphone unmuted. When we go a goal down there, my heart sank for obvious reason that we've conceded. And I was thinking if this turns into a game where the pattern of play follows, say, the Cheltenham game, where Lincoln realistically, after scoring that early goal, they've got one thing on their mind, and that's seeing the game out. Well, yeah, my concern is we're going to see the rest of the game looking a lot like most of the Cheltenham game at home did. Freddie, what's your perception, aside from the obvious that we scored two goals, what did Pompey manage to do differently in this game that they weren't able to do in that really sort of convoluted, chopped up, weird Cheltenham at home game? They were able to control the midfield in possession really well. But from that possession, they were able to create incisive chances with it. Because obviously we've seen many times Pompey play against a team that plays 10 men behind the ball. Lots of possession, lots of crisp passing in between the midfielders. But then it's always the last pass that starts an attacking play that doesn't work or it's the cross into the penalty area that goes towards three centre-halves and it's cleared. It was just more incisive and more confident, I thought. And it was definitely the start of the first goal. Very good cross all the way to Kamara on that side. And he's he's given the time and space to dribble it slightly into the penalty area before making the pass, which is very good. It was very incisive pass to Lane, who I think does really well with that finish. Very well with that finish, even though it was deflected. Yeah, I think all the goals in this game, there's a pretty good argument that none of them really should happen, I think, because of defensive lapses. Whilst the finishes are good, I think there's a really good argument that both defences will be disappointed with all the goals conceded in this game. As you say, Freddie, that that equalising goal from Lane, I think it takes a couple of deflections on the way in. Don't think keeper has too much of a chance. But again, we're one all, still fairly, fairly early doors in the game. Are we confident at that point that Pompey, you know, 18 or 19 games unbeaten at this point, take the ball by the horns, going on to to record a comfortable win, Jack? Or are we fairly pensive, fairly apprehensive? I'm I'm incredibly confident at that point. Maybe blindly, I don't know. But Pompey have gone behind something like eight times this season, seven, eight times this season. We we haven't lost a game from a losing position or at all for that fact. Um, And I think when you look at the quality that was on the pitch and sure there may be defensive frailties at times, but there's so much quality in possession. Even, you know, some of the quote-unquote weaker players, so defensively rather, you know, you've got Jack Sparks, who's just got a wonderful left foot and that's highlighted in the goal, which I'm sure we'll get to. And also what Freddie said about the control of the midfield. I know average position maps can be misleading at times, but if you look at the average position map, Bishop and, so our front four essentially of Lane, Bishop, Robertson and Kamara. Bishop and Robertson were much lower than the wingers, which just allowed us so much more control over their midfield. And let's say ball by the horns, then you could get the wingers in 1v1, which we saw. And yeah, I think control was the big thing. And and that's been the theme all season is that we've completely dominated almost every single football match. And when you do that, you put yourself in the best position to win. So yeah, very confident at at 1-0. And especially at 1-0, let's say 70 minutes into a game, maybe a bit more apprehensive, but at five minutes, whatever it was, the response was so strong and so assertive. I think the only thing holding you back from being confident would be, well, with Portsmouth, we we lose these games we're supposed to win. Which brings us on seamlessly to what turned out to be the winning goal. We have camera on the left, I think it is, playing the ball back to Sparks. And as you say, we'll use the term wand of a left foot. Outswinging, I think, keepers really, really disappointing here and will be disappointed. I think as a keeper, you either come and commit or you stay on your line and trust your centre-backs to get their head on the ball. He does neither one nor t'other and sort of half comes out to the edge of his six-yard box, caught in the middle of no man's land. And yeah, for me, he'll be quite disappointed with that. But 
it's another goal for Regan Poole, starting to uh, to do bits at this end of the field as well, after his goal against Peterborough, as well as being pretty solidly defensively. Freddie, what is your wisdom-filled, philosophical breakdown of, uh, of what turned out to be the winning goal? Yeah, it was a lovely cross from Jack Sparks, actually, and he put in some decent crosses throughout that game. He, he showed the attacking intent that he has when he when he plays. I did feel like, in especially in the second half, we missed Ogilvy's defensive stability which would have been nice at that time where we were a tiny bit under cost at the end but there we are but no lo- lovely cross lovely cross to Paul and like I said you could Lucas Jensen was a bit it was almost as if he didn't know what he wanted to do he didn't know whether to trust his defenders or whether to actually come and claim the ball but Paul still had a lot to do because even, even though the cross was almost on his head Paul still had to direct it downwards with power to be able to, to be able to get it in there so it wasn't it wasn't the easiest finish in the world there he did it exceptionally well he's proving to be the signing of the summer and I'll debate anybody on that point he's that ball winning midfielder we've needed for so long and also he's positionally aware in the penalty area from situations like that so no can't complain it was 2-1 I thought very deserved just touching on Paul yeah Paul, Paul is fantastic and the only one of the downsides to Sparks playing actually ahead of Ogilvy was he didn't have much license to carry the ball out and, and really um, attack the second line. Whereas normally, when you know when Ogilvy's playing, they kind of make a back three with Ogilvy on the left, Shockness in the middle, and Paul on the right, and then he can step in and attack the space and engage. But yeah, other than that, I mean, yeah, as, as you say, Paul is. I think the only rival to him would be Will Norris, but even then, I think Paul trumps it. I think fantastic footballer. Two and two for a game from Fratton Park for goals. That's a great record. And and yeah, the keeper could have done way better with that. He was, he was underneath it. He, he was lost in no man's land. And yeah, I'm a big Regan Paul fan. In terms of us trying to right the wrongs from last year, where eight games in, we were top of the table. I think it was nine games in, we dropped a second or third in the table and didn't really ever look like challenging Plymouth or Ipswich seriously from that point onwards. One of the things that seems to have changed this year has kind of already been touched on in by Jack there in terms of going a goal down. So from memory this season, we've gone a goal down Bristol Rovers opening day of the season. We salvaged something last minute. Derby, we conceded first, salvaged something, final minute of injury time. Peterborough, we go a goal down first half, end up running away with that 3-1 fairly, fairly comfortably until, you know, after Morel gets sent off in the last 10 minutes. Lincoln here, go a goal down, turn it around, win the game. Barnsley. We get pegged back to within a goal after being comfortable. There's been a lot of pressure put on Pompey at different times in these games. It's never really seemed to be, you know, with with the exception of that 4-0 win over Leighton Orient, it's never really seemed free and easy. What are Pompey doing right in terms of solidity that, that's causing us to be able to see these games out or, or nick something after going a goal behind? I think to sum it, to sum it up in one word, it would be composure. And that helps with defensively and going forward. You could see that even though Lincoln went a goal ahead in this game, it didn't force the players to change the pattern of play. They were just very solid. They knew what they needed to do and they knew how they were going to create chances against that Lincoln side. Get the ball into the wide areas in between one of the three centre-halves and the wing-back where there's space and then cut into the penalty area and create gaps. And they did that for the first goal superbly well. And then when they were ahead, I think the only really nervy minutes was... Norris's command of the area, and because he, he did flap at a few things, which was a bit concerning. He did a very, he made a very good save from Jack Burrows when basically Norris was pretty much on the edge of the penalty area. But it, the ball from that set piece shouldn't have got there in the first place. He, he sort of tried to claim it once and missed, then tried to get on top of the ball when it was on the floor, and that didn't work either. 
but there were there was there hasn't been as many individual errors defensively in those situations, which you can tell from purely just watching the game. But I think you could t- also tell it from the pressing map as well. Um, you measure press with passes allowed per defensive action. The lower the number, the higher the press. The average is 9.4, which is just over a high press. But around the time between the first and first Pompey goal and Pompey second, it was 5.2. And then it drops off all the way into the mid-teens. And that essentially shows that they're not pressing. And whenever they have the ball, they know what they want to do with it. There's always somebody moving, always somebody giving an option. But when Pompey do turn over the ball and then can have it, they're able to stay very structured in the right place, even with players who arguably aren't as defensive as their counterparts. So there are, there are plenty of statistical things and things from just watching the game that shows that this could be, it's a bit early, but it could be something different with this side compared to the others. It's nice to see Rico again. Jack, did uh, did watching Rico in another kit make you miss his left foot? Or are you, again, not to put it in an unpleasant way, but are you thinking that Pompey have got the right end of the deal on this one? I think it's sort of similar to the Marcus Harness deal, but in the other way, in that Rico Hackett is not a bad footballer. That's That'd be a ridiculous statement to make. He's an okay footballer for this level. He is not your, you know, the caliber of player you need in the first team week in, week out for a promotion win inside. So it was good that we let him go because it would have held back his development and it probably would have held back us as well because we wouldn't have got another winger. Um, he's doing well at uh, Lincoln. He seems to have got a bit of a home there. So, you know, fair play to him. But yeah, we've not missed him at all. <laughs> I feel quite bad for him because there was a start on foot mob that said, I think he lost the most jewels out of any other player on the pitch, which is... Uh, it's not always what you want when you return to your, you know, your footballing home of Fratton Park. But, um, but yeah, I think both teams got a good deal. Hacker was like playing in the front three, wasn't he, of that formation? He wasn't like an out-and-out winger when he was playing for Pompey, which I think suits him as a player a bit better. But I still don't think he pulled up any trees or anything. I mean, he was playing in that more forward position, more central position, mostly because of an injury crisis they've got going on at Lincoln. So having Tyler Walker out injured, and I can't remember the other player that we were talking about last week in our preview. Ben House? Ben House, yeah. Yeah, so they're they're absolute bare bones going forward, so kind of playing the attacking players anywhere they can. So, yeah, Rico's having to adapt into being a bit of a nine at times by the sounds of it, and he's going to have to for a little while because both of those other injuries are are fairly long-term. I think they're at least sort of six weeks, eight weeks onwards. So, yeah, probably a bit out of his comfort zone, but also, you know, gives him an opportunity to put put his name on the team sheet as a goal scorer. So... It would be nice to see that moving forward, just not in any games involving us. Hopefully against the other teams at the top, he can do it. Lads, anything else you want to say about the uh, the Lincoln City game before we move on to, I was going to say generic Pompey news, but that makes it sound extremely wow. boring. The more <laughs> the more general Pompey news the items news, that, that the Freddie Webb segment. brings to the, yes. news, uh, news the new segment that Freddie brings yeah. to the game. Mm. Well, what did you think of Joe Morrell's little bit of shit shithousery in this game? I, I enjoyed was, uh, it. Yeah, I enjoyed it, but it was very quickly kind of taken back down to earth when I saw him get in the player's face and then get his head patted which was a new one I was like come on Joe come on rein it in um, but one thing I'll, I'll touch on quickly for Lincoln because I think it's important to give them credit because they're a good team I think when you take into account all the injuries they had in forward areas I mean later on in the game they brought on a centre half to play up top I think they're a really good team really solid team and if they're threatening us and making us look not mediocre but average I think they've got a serious chance of doing you know, pushing top half when they've got all their, their players back. So they're a good team. The only other bit to say about this game, well, Andy is trying to get Gita to calm down, is we have to play Guess the XG because I'm back on the show. 
Jack loves it. Andy hates it. So we're going to go through it very quickly. I'm actually nominating my hamster to play on my behalf this week. So uh, she's going to give me a break from the game. She's going to she's tell probably, me what she's probably better is. than you, mate. Honestly, can't do much worse. We'll add her to the table and uh, she will probably finish above me by the end of the season. This week, we're going to go for Paddy Lane's goal. What was the XG for Paddy Lane's left-footed shot, which snuck past Lucas Jensen at the near post? As uh, the non-traditional co-host, I'm afraid, Jack, you have the absolute privilege of going first here. I thought we could just both say start, stay silent and we just wouldn't have to do it. Um... I've tried that. It doesn't work. Hugh just just cuts the silence out and then just splices it together to make it sound like we played the game normally. I I think Andy's head would explode if you did uh, XGOT instead of XG. Um, Guess it, yeah. Uh, It's a difficult one because I can never remember how to quantify it properly, which I I should probably be able to do. Um, I do think we should also remember that you're playing against me, so I wouldn't overthink it. Which makes it really bad when I eventually lose. Let's oh, go it makes for... me difficult to predict. I'm unpredictable, and that makes wasn't, me dangerous. Yeah, wasn't Regan Paul's like 0.56 a week? Is that outrageous? Even though I was... At... No, 0.36. Oh, yeah, no, because it should have been higher. That's right. Let's go for 0.21. I was actually going to go lower than that, was my instinct. The number that popped into... Well, actually, my head's irrelevant. Gida is signing at me with her little claws, hands, things. I'm not crazy, I promise. She thinks that it's 0.17 is what I'm getting from my hamster. So what I hamster? don't really... There's not a hamster, Andy. You're going insane. I really... <laughs> it's like the sixth, it's like the sixth sense. <laughs> no spoilers. That film came out 30 years ago. No spoilers. <laughs> I've been dead the whole time. So, oh yeah, spoiler, sorry. Yes, yeah, uh, Gita thinks 0.17, and I'm actually hoping she loses because I don't think I've won one yet this year. So this would put her genuinely above me in the PO forecast league table. Round of applause for Gita, ladies and gentlemen. Shit. The, the, the hamster's brilliant. Yeah, Y Scout gave Paddy Lane's goal a 0.12, and I think 0.17 is around. Gita. Where Gita, I, Gita, where, where Gita. I would have put it, because considering where Lane is, he doesn't put a lot of power on it. It goes to the near post where the keeper should ideally have saved it he's also shooting on an angle as well there were things behind it but no lovely finish um it's an example of a player's quality showing through regardless of how likely the shot is to go in but no guess the xg thank god thank god for it we need guess the xg merge yeah i've not prepared any sort of quiz this week i thought we could use a break from it when we have an international round ra- uh, an international break we have a po forecast quiz lined up which is going to be an absolute Car crash. I can hardly wait. Jack, I do want to highlight the fact that you run a football analysis account and have actually been nominated for a a young content award. We may as well do this now because I want to sort of contextualize how low the bar was that you have been nominated for this award and are currently below a rodent in our league (laughs) table uh, for football analysis. So, uh, yeah, while we're on the subject of of making you sound good. Fill us in on what the sort of the nomination process was for this award. So congratulations, first of all. Uh, Thank you. Fill us in a little bit. Pardon? Um, so <laughs> This is what happens so was... when we get people under the age of 25 on the podcast, very under the age of 25 on the podcast. The, oh, God. The standard of humour just... <laughs> yeah, it's in, the, it's in the toilet, isn't it? So for Best Young Content Creator for the Football Content Awards, which is the biggest kind of award show for football content creation industry and yeah i'm over the moon to be nominated i didn't expect it at all because i've, I've only been writing for about a year and the first half of the, the existence of this twitter page was utter garbage honestly it's awful don't read my old stuff it's horrendous 
Um, so yeah, that's so what, what um, that's what one of your lectures lecturers, my friend, actually said to me about your first year yeah. work. So that's something. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, no, spot on. So yeah, so essentially, the first round of voting is anyone can nominate anyone for the categories. Um, thankfully, I got nominated through the uh, the voting of the uh, of the people, and then got fi- got uh, announced the finalists, which is great. So on the sixteenth of November, I'll be going up to Liverpool to Anfield with my girlfriend to uh, to hopefully win the award or look you know, miserable when I, when I don't win it. And yeah, so it, the voting is available on footballcontentawards.com forward slash voting. If you scroll down to best young content creator and hopefully select me or someone else up to you, I'm not going to tell you what to do. And then, you know, the, the final vote is split between the fan vote and the judges vote. So, you know, it's like judges houses, but I don't have to sing, which is great. And also I think Portsmouth Football Club themselves are put up for one of the categories and Cassini Yengi has been put up for one of the categories as well for young football. It was content creation or something, wasn't it, for Yankee? Mm-hmm. Young mm-hmm. football content mm-hmm. creation. So, so yeah, a lot of a lot of things to vote for for Pompey fans. Um, I've done the vote already. So yeah, we're wishing you all the best with it, Jack. Uh, yeah, listeners, do go on to that vote, Jack. Give the uh, give the URL one more time for us, my friend. <coughs> well, content awards. No, that's wrong. Football Excellent. Content I'm awards. not cutting that. I'm keeping that in. <laughs> no, just keep it in. Keep it all in. Footballcontentawards.com forward slash voting. And the irony is, I was actually right. I just got in my own head. Yeah, I was going to say you repeated yourself there. So yes, that is football work. content awards forward slash voting. All three. Don't have to make an account either. Amazing news. I mean, I might just launch repeat accounts. We've got a lot of different computers. That, actually, it'll probably be done by um, IP address, won't it? So Yeah, I stopped voting for myself. I did it seven times. I went, I could get done it. So I stopped. We've got multiple campuses at uni and uh, <laughs> we'll find a way to multi-vote. Or just use a VPN for every different country. Can you not go onto NordVPN and just vote one? No, Fred shaking his head. He knows more about technology than me. Does NordVPN or whatever not just change your IP address? It does. It's just very unethical. <laughs> oh, so it would work. Okay, brilliant. Who needs ethics when you've got winners? That's all. Oh, winners over ethics. I say, yeah, yeah. You've uh, you've already made yourself likable there, Jack. Who needs That's ethics when job. you've got winning? That's his job, Maguire. Let's move on, yeah. Fred, <laughs> let's go into the news section. What are you uh, what are you leading with today, Fred, before we get onto our Wigan preview? Yeah, so I'm gonna lead with um well, I'm gonna do what in broadcast is called a hard right turn for the, the saddest story first. We found out through Andrew Moon why Zach Swanson missed the last few games. It was apparently due to the the passing of his mum. We also found out he that he played against Derby County, and that was a very, very good performance against a tough Derby side away at Park a few days before her passing. So obviously, PO Forecast and pretty much every f- Pompey fan and the Pompey family as a whole will rally around Zach because, to be honest, I can't imagine something that horrible. And going through that while also being on the pitch and progressing as a professional as well, not many people could have done that. So no, my condolences to Zach, first of all. Yeah, obviously we echo that as a as a podcast. And yeah, hope to see him Hope to see him back on the pitch this weekend against Wigan and we'll no doubt get a uh, a really, really positive reception from the crowd on his return to the pitch. Yeah, Fred, uh, hit us with your, your next pre-planned bit of news. Okay, so I'm going to go through a few bits of injury news. Jordan Cross in the news gave an update on Cassini Yengi after interviewing John Massino. Obviously, Yengi has been sidelined since mid-August after an ankle ligament injury where Christian Sadie landed on him in training. He's now nearly completed his rehab and is back on the grass. And is basically closing in on full time training. Where I'm seeing it will be another full day, another ten days ish until he's back at full time training. I think he's been a big miss purely just for depth purposes. Obviously, Bishop has been exceptional. He's had a great start to the season, 
but it would be brilliant to have another player on the bench who you could bring on and play in that forward role and really get into the defenders. Or you could play him behind Bishop if you want a more aggressive role to try and shake up the play a little bit, like how Christian Sadie has played in that number 10 position behind Bishop. So no, uh, good news that Yangi is recovering. Bissinho mentioned the news they didn't want to rush him due to previous injury history and other things. So no, it would be good news on Yangi coming up. Uh, how important do you think Yangi will be then, Jack, when he comes back? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty. Uh, don't quote me on this. But I'm pretty sure he's got some like four goals in 88 minutes, which is like just obscene. And yeah, just thinking about him and Bishop, I thought we like. I'm not sure if you've seen the Mighty Ducks, but like the Bash Brothers, just causing chaos late on in game. Um, but yeah, that would be, and you know, goals are great. So you know, get more goals in the team. You should win more games. I'm pretty sure that's how football works. You might want to. You need that. to win I that award. You have to win yeah. that award for your in-depth analysis. You don't get this anywhere else, guys. So you know, no, we're really noticing awards. Hughes. We're noticing Hughes' absence for sure right now. More injury news. This one less good. Uh, Anthony Scully will be out for the rest of 2023. He's going under the knife and having surgery because of his um, a, mini- a, a meniscus ankle injury. Well, not ankle, left knee. Excuse me. I didn't know meniscus in your ankle, the, the lesser yes, known meniscus. Yes, my, yes, I didn't do very well. I think well I know what's wrong with him. He's got meniscus where he shouldn't have it. Oh, superb. But no, he'll be out until 2023 and possibly February due to the injury. Essentially, it came out that Scully tried to play through the injury. It was having some problems. They tried injections to calm the knee down, but the issue persisted and it kept going, according to Neil Allen. Pacino basically said that Scully was doing very well in training and pre-season. And then performances dropped a bit during the start of the season. And a lot of it could be down to the injury, but we'll we'll have to see, I suppose. Uh, there's a long way to go to that front. Abu Kamara's filled in admirably in left wing and is pretty much the de facto starting left winger now, I think. But obviously, people have already been chatting about a certain Ronan Curtis due to a fitness video coming out. And the, the chatter is already there to... Uh, Bring him in. So, first of all, do you think Anthony Scully will come back strong? Do you think he'll end up being the backup left winger when he comes back? Uh, presuming that Kamara will keep going. And obviously, I have to ask you about Ronan Curtis. What what do Pompey do there? I think if Scully has stayed fit and put in a, a good level of performance, you know, without being injured over the next few months, I think I said a few weeks ago that Pompey should be offering Curtis a contract through. M- I mean, Jack doesn't doesn't really approve of ethics as we've covered on this uh, as we've covered on this podcast already. But I think for someone who has put blood, sweat, and tears into that Fram Park pitch, I think he's he's earned the opportunity to, to come back from such a serious injury and, and get back into the side. So I think if Scully had put in a lot of performances and avoided injury, it would have been more difficult to advocate for that from a logical point of view. I think he's got to be given a chance. I think Camera. Stays starting on the left for me. He's looked good going forward. Yeah, he loses the ball sometimes, but he makes things happen. And I think he's looked better defensively. I mentioned the other week, he's looked better defensively than I expected when I first saw him going forward. I think it was the Derby game. He had a really good game defensively in particular. So for me at the moment, I've I've no issue with, yeah, assuming Curtis does come back to full fitness. Obviously, there's a, there's a big difference between box jumps and sprints on a bit of grass and match intensity for over an hour at a time there's a, a big difference between those two things but should the recovery continue the way it looks like it is going yeah I'd, I'd love to see him come on as a sub get a bit of match fitness back I have no issue with it Jack I don't feel like you're completely on the same page as me on this so uh, yeah what's your view 
I'm very much on the fence. Um, not like a political won't answer the question way. I just think it's quite a complicated debate. I think, you know, the pros are he's been a really loyal servant. He's he's a talented footballer, I want to say. Um, and he looked bright under Tomasino for a couple of games. I mean, there was someone maybe didn't have a great impact, but there are others where, you know, I think maybe Fleetwood away. He was really good. He got the goal against Cheltenham. But I think on the other side of things, I think there are times where he, he maybe, you know, I think Strops has a pad is very harsh. I, don't, I I wouldn't say that's how he is, but I think there's something where he maybe is a bit overly emotional, which other side of the coin, that helps him play with you know, his heart on his sleeve. And yeah, you know, he might not be the same player after the injury. As you said, it's very different doing uh, you know, box jumps and all, and all these other things as opposed to playing a football match. If he were to sign on, I'd maybe opt for, obviously, I'm not in charge of the contracts. He might say, no, what are you talking about? Maybe like a, a year and a half, deal so 18 months until the end of next season maybe with an, an option in there but I don't think it's as cut and dry saying we've got to give him a deal or, or we shouldn't give him a deal um, and luckily Scully hasn't been amazing for us so far not saying he won't be but he's not the biggest of misses because he, he hasn't quite got to speed yet um, but having a you know a cohort of Abu Kamara providing doesn't get recalled by Norwich because all their injuries Ronan Curtis and Anthony Scully there's there's a lot of qualities there that you like and, and you know a lot of uh, a lot of passion and, and yeah, uh, if the deal was right, I'd go for it. Passion is spelt P-A-S-H-U-N though in this context, I believe. In, in all caps, in all caps as well. If you are looking at a permanent option and, you know, Paddy Lane's been fantastic since joining from Fleetwood, in my opinion, I think Phoenix Patterson might be worth a look at. He's a really nice profile. I've not seen much of him this year. I won't lie. I've not seen any of him this year, actually. But last season, he was brilliant. And, you know, data-wise, looks fantastic in, in quite a few areas. I'm not sure what the fee would be. Maybe with the, you know, the uncertainty around Fleetwood, that might be worth a look if for a permanent option. But yeah, it's there, there's a lot of options out there, and you know, Curtis or a loan or a permanent. So it's not like we're hamstrung. Freddie, finish off your news section. Yeah, the last bit of news we're going to keep on the pitch. We, but obviously, we did have the Jimmy Dickinson statue, and from all accounts, I think it looks great, pretty pretty much. And the ceremony was very nice as well. But on the pitch, Joe Morrell came out in the news and spoke about his style of play. A lot has been said about the disciplinary the record and the large amounts of yellow cards. And he said he's committed to continue with that approach, but in a proper way without getting the suspensions. He said you have to pick and choose what you pick them up for. He's referring to yellow cards. And he adds that it's virtually impossible for him not to get five bookings a season. That second point I do agree with. It, he is a centre midfielder in League One. The, you're going to get bookings. I think most centre midfielders who pretty much play week in, week out will get the niggly yellow card for something or other. And I think that's fine. He added, I want to pick up bookings when they're needed. And uh, when you're on a booking, there are things you can't do. And obviously that's referring to the odd cynical challenge that stops an attacking play, which personally, I think referees need to do something with that. But while it's in the game, it's a good idea for a, a defender or midfielder to take out an attacking play entirely that's dangerous for a yellow card. And I do want him to play with that edge because in the Football League, I personally like Pompey's players to have that edge, that little bit of grit to be able to fly into a tackle and then play a pass afterwards. That's what makes the Football League what it is. But there needs to be a balance there. And some of the yellow cards have been silly for certain stuff. So I'm happy that Joe Brown's come out and addressed it. Um, We'll just have to see in the future whether... He can keep the disciplinary record manageable, let's say. What, what do you think, Jack, about Morel's yellow card stuff? Is it, has it been overblown here or is it just something that is genuinely an issue? I think maybe it is overstated. I think, I don't know, maybe it is a bit of an issue. It would have been more of an issue last year, to be honest, because I don't think the cover was there. Whereas this year, 
you've got a few players that can do similar, if not better in certain areas, jobs than Joe Morrell. So I, I think there are times where it's just the stupid red cards that are annoying. Like Fleetwood away last season, stupid handball. The knee in the back against MK Dons uh, last season. The yellows I can take. It's the reds that annoy me. But yeah, I, I think it's overstated. I think if you take away that itch from Joe Morrell, he's not the same player. And Joe Morrell is a premium midfielder in League One at what he does. And if you take away his aggression, I think you lose out from that. Yeah, spot on. I think you have to look at some of the players we have on permanent de- deals and actually think the spine of this team on permanent contracts is pretty damn solid now. And there have been times in the past where you'd say that our glamour players or our, our really most important players have been coming in on loans. And maybe in the last 12 to 18 months, I do genuinely think that Pompey have moved towards a stronger model in terms of recruitment than we had done previously, which is reassuring to see. Obviously, we're going to be very results-oriented about it. And at the end of the season, everyone will say it was a success if we go up and it was an absolute disaster and they didn't know what they were doing if we if we don't go up, maybe. But I think speaking with the knowledge and sort of the awareness that we have now, looking at nine games in, I think you'd have to say that the recruitment plan has, has really taken shape recently. Okay, that's uh, the news summed up. Unless either of you have got anything you want to jump on with, which is uh, I'm seeing head shakes, which is wonderful news for time reasons. So I can edit this before I go to bed tonight. We spoke to Barry from the Progress with Unity podcast to talk us through Wigan's season so far, his predictions for the weekend, where Pompey might potentially see some success, and how it felt to lose 4 1 to a Joey Barton side, which has to be one of the more demoralising experiences in League One football. So I will throw over to past Andy, having a chat with Barry from the Progress with Unity podcast. Okay, so we are joined today by Barry from the Progress with Unity podcast, who's going to give us a rundown of what Pompey can expect this weekend, lining up away at Wigan Athletic. So Barry... Welcome to the PO Forecast. Thank you for coming on, a returning guest. So uh, it's nice to have you back. Yeah, cheers, Andy. I'm uh, looking forward to having a, a bit of com- conversation with you, with the league leaders. So it's a privilege. I think we're getting dizzy from the heights, honestly. Uh, we're waiting for it to all come crashing down around our around our shoulders. Wigan, I mean, don't want to rub it in. Just, I'm, I'm on the League One table now, so just... I have to wait for a second, scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down, <laughs> um, which is slightly unfair considering you started the season on on minus eight points thanks to some, how should we say, questionable ownership decisions. Is that is that a fair summary of, of what's caused you to be in this situation? Eight games into the season for you, you've played one fewer than us, sitting on five points, which in reality would be 13 points from eight games which would place you in between ninth and 11th in the table had you started on zero points. So let's just pretend that you started on zero points. I guess just an overall view of, of how has the season been so far, all things considered, from a, a Wigan fan perspective? All things considered, it's been quite good, I, I must say. Uh, we came into the season a club in turmoil following you know what happened uh, towards the end of last year. Well, probably from, from Janu- January onwards, uh, we nearly lost the club again, which was the second time in, in two seasons where we nearly lost the club. This time, even though it was in administration for nine months previously, this time around, it was in more danger of the club folding. Um, and I don't, not sure if the fan base had the fight in the stomach for it this time after it was a draining experience 
obviously during COVID and the, the lockdown, that took a lot out of people. And then to find yourselves back in that situation again, ownership, refusing to put any money into the club, wages not being paid, players able to leave on free contracts, points deductions for stamina history we've ever finished bottom of a league, you know, got to about the 14th of June and it looked like we'd no club. Luckily for us, very quickly, uh, a deal was done with a local businessman who owns the, the rugby club in Wigan, Wigan Warriors. Um, he, he's taken over. Uh, it didn't pay anything for it, but took on all the liabilities. I think he had to pay about seven million quid in the first week in debts owed. So, uh, one of the reasons he took over was Sean Maloney, the manager, uh, convinced him that he could run the club in a, under a sustainable model, uh, with a low, um, uh, expenditure. I think they're talking of a, like somewhere between three and four million a year to run the club, including wages and transfer fees, etc. Uh, the guys took us always big on community. We're a big community club. And I think it's attracted him the idea of that. Not, it's not going to cost him a lot of money. So we lost a lot of players. I think 17 professionals left the club. So we, we had, uh, we on a transfer embargo as well not allowed to sign anybody for any money, including loan players. We could only bring them in them in on freeze. So everybody that's come into the club has come in on a free transfer. And um, we've re- promoted eight graduates from the academy as well. So you can see it's, it's, it's a team that's been put together that didn't come with the expectation of, of blitzing the league. But I tell you what, Bologna... Started off the season, he had him playing some wonderful football. Um, first game, we went down to Derby. We won there. Went up the road to Bolton and beat them in their own back garden again, 4-0. Absolutely destroyed them. We've had, uh, as you can imagine, with uh, with a young team, I think our average age is 22. Our back four, with uh, um, the two centre-halves, one's 19, one's 20. The goalkeeper's 21, so you can see that, that right in the middle of that defence, that you know the young guns and the, and the performances do dip from time to time. So we've taken a, a couple of beatings as well. But to be honest with you, at the start of the season, I picked us to finish somewhere between fourteenth and tenth, and a good run in the pizza. Uh, well, it's not the pizza cup anymore, is it? It's the not the pizza cup, and a good run in that would make make our season. And we started off with a seven-one victory over Leicester City in that. So that that's that's going to plan. And I, th- I think. The way we've played so far, the opposition uh, that I've seen in in League One, I think we're good for it. I think we're good for it. We, we've still got goal scorers in the team. I think we're the third highest goal scorers in the in the division. We've got Charlie White up front, who's second to Devante Cole in the goal scorers league. Josh McGuinness is putting the ball in it's got a hat trick in in the not the pizza trophy. Stephen Humphries has got three goals as well. So we, we're spreading the goals around, and you know, we're playing some lovely football as well. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased, even though we're third, uh, fourth off bottom, we're in the relegation zone. Uh, we've just come off a 4-1 beating at Bristol Rovers. I am quite happy, if I'm being honest. <laughs> just on, on the pizza cup thing, I can confirm from experience that it is the pizza cup until the semi-finals, and then you're one game away from Wembley, at which point it magically transforms from the pizza cup into the Holy Grail. It's an incredible overnight transformation when you know there's a Wembley day on the horizon, although... Some of the fans, including one of our, our co-hosts on the pod, refuses to have anything to do with the trophy. But that's a, a different story for a different day. 
We are two times winners of it. Um, um, uh, we won it in eighty-five and and uh, ninety-eight. So we, I think we, we've we've got the record for longest holders of it because of the the COVID pandemic to go alongside our longest holders of the FA Cup thanks to World War II so we're excellent at winning around global disasters it's one of our (laughs) our real USPs as a football club (laughs) there's there's some real standout results on both sides of the spectrum there Uh, in terms of opening day of the season Derby County away to win there when you're starting after a very sort of tumultuous summer starting on a negative number of points to win away there is a real statement of intent and similarly you know not many teams go to Bolton and win 4-0 in their backyard, as you say. But then, you know, you're, you're coming into this game now off a run of, what is it, three defeats in four league games, I think it is. Blackpool, Barnsley and, and Bristol Rovers with just the, the Cambridge win in there as well. That dip in form, is is that just because you've got such a young side out so you're going to have inconsistencies? Or are you at all concerned about the potential trajectory that that you've been on in the last few weeks? Uh, I'm not concerned about it. I mean, there's mitigating circumstances to those defeats. The Barnsley game, uh, uh, we've got a young centre-back. I mentioned there were two young centre-backs. One of them, Charlie Hughes, 19-year-old. Uh, I know you've been blessed with one or two decent centre-backs down, down the years. He's going to play Premier League. Absolutely Rolls-Royce player. He got sent off against Barnsley after 17 minutes. We appealed it. It didn't get overturned, but it was never a red card. It's one of those. He's, he's won the ball. The, the attackers run into him, gone over. The referees deemed it denying a goal scoring opportunity, showed the red, and it was, uh, it went to appeal and it was two to one in favor of keeping it at a red. So it could have gone either way though. Yeah. He, he is our star player. We build a lot of attacks up through him. Uh, so we put, I mean, Barnsley are, are an half decent side at this level. There's no two ways about it. And, and Devante Cole is, is a, uh, you know, a goal scoring center forward. When Hughes went off in that, we spent the next five minutes with just one defender on, on the pitch, the other centre-half, because we, we just play uh, two at the back and we've got these these full-backs, or inverted full-backs to call on these days. They play halfway up the pitch and they're on the wrong side as well. You have a left footer on, on, on the right and a right footer on the left. So so we're ending up with one defender on the pitch for, for five minutes and they scored the goal in that, the first goal. And the second goal that Burnsley got was in the 97th minute uh, we was all over them in the second half. So that game for me was down to the fact that we were down to 10 men against a very good League One side. Then we went to Blackpool, who hadn't scored a goal since the first game of the season. So it was obviously we were going to score. They just oh, signed Jordan, yeah, Jordan Rhodes, who always scores goals against Wigan Athletic, and he scored after two minutes. And use our, you know, our, our, our Franz Beckenbauer at the back, hmm. um, was missing. So we, we really did struggle that day. But so that was my mitigating circumstances to that. Uh, as far as Saturday goes, uh, Bristol Rovers, I think Bristol Rovers did a good job on us. We looked a bit jaded as well. Um, th- there's a lot of young lads in this team and they've played a lot of football uh, early doors I mean they played in the in the Not the Pizza Trophy as well uh, on, on the Tuesday evening so they've played against Leicester and and then they've travelled down to Bristol on the Friday and they've played the, they've, you know they've, our goalkeeper Sam Tittle played in that two centre-backs played in that game as well the midfielders played in it so it's been a it, it was one of those tired displays uh, with, with no energy 
uh, all over the pitch. Uh, and Bristol Rovers were at it from the start. And it was, it was a good game from their point of view. From our point of view, it, it was one of those games. And I think we're going to get a few of those this season because of the nature of our squad. Uh, you know, I don't think we've got a great deal of strength in depth. I think we have a little bit of strength in depth in certain areas on the pitch, but not all across the pitch. And when we've got players missing, uh, through injury or otherwise, I think we could have done with a bit of a shuffle in midfield. We brought a lad in who was on, loan at Morecambe last season, brought him in from um, from Celtic on loan. Liam Shaw is a really good centre-half, but he's had no pre-season. He's not played, the only game he's played in was the Leicester game. He had 90 minutes there. I, th- I have a strong feeling he's going to be involved on Saturday against yourselves. He, I think we might make a, a change or two in midfield. Young lad, Barbara Deco, 20-year-old uh, academy graduate. He's been outstanding. He's been so good this season. He's got international call up to Republic of Ireland. He's been absolutely outstanding. But he was just a little bit off the pace. We saw Matt Smith from Arsenal. We got him on a free transfer under twenty three. I think he was the captain of Arsenal's under twenty threes. He's looked <laughs> he's looked way too good for for League One up until the last couple of games when he's just looks a little bit jaded. And I think that's what it is. It's it's just that that early season form where we're, we're buzzing about everywhere. They're playing lots of football. They're playing the full 90 minutes of every game. And I think it just caught up with them a little bit. Uh, the young lads as well. And sometimes, you know, the Reds go a little bit if, if things just don't go their way. But we still have a little bit of experience in the team. You know, I mentioned uh, Charlie White with Callum Lang in there as well. Tom Pierce on... Uh, who's a, a good good lad up and down the left. So, yeah, I forgot what your question was. <laughs> but I'm, I'm so have I, to be honest, Barry, but yeah. I'm happy to let you monologue. I'm more than happy to hear it. Yeah. So. But <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm happy where we are. And the last three of the last four results, I think there's a little bit of mitigating circumstances mm-hmm. to the fact that we've, we've not been firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I, I had a look at the, the extended highlights of your, your Bristol Rovers game and the goals looked almost frustratingly avoidable. There were the individual errors that were in there. I mean, I'm not going to pile on any of your players because I mean I don't know them in the slightest. But purely from a, a removed point of view, I think the the keepers got to do better with two of the the shots that go in, and also made a mistake in the build up to one of the other goals as well with a, a poor kick out under pressure. So they look like they're frustratingly avoidable goals. That, as you say, I guess you're you're going to have inconsistencies in form when it's a young team. Obviously, it's really nice to see Charlie White being back playing after after his, his health scare. A lot of sides that he's played in, you'd say, have been quite heavily reliant on him as the goal scorer in that side. But it doesn't look like that's necessarily the case for you. Is, is it fair to say that the, the goal threat is more shared around the team, looking at sort of your, your goal scoring stats so far this season? And, and if so, who are you picking out as sort of, the, I guess, I'll give you two men to watch for Portsmouth in terms of goal scoring threat outside of Charlie Wyke. Yeah, well, I mean Wyke is a goal scorer. He does get goals. He's you know, he he, he scores with his head, uh, but he scores as many with his feet. But you're right. I mean we play we play the system where we we have you know, we play four up up across the front line. So and, and they're interchanging all the time. I mean sometimes you find Wyke out on on the wing, Langle come inside or Umfries. We've got a ladder on loan from Fulham, uh Marshall Godot, he looks uh, an absolute gem of a player. He's only 20 years of age. He's got two assists so far. Uh, he's only played two games. Uh, and he's absolutely superb. But goal-scoring threats, apart from Charlie, Charlie White, 
Chalo Asgard, I know he's, he got injured up at Carlisle on our third game of the season, uh, did his shoulder. He missed, he missed the next three or four games and he came back, um, against Cambridge. And he played, I think he played 70 minutes in that, but he scored the winning goal in that one. Chalo Asgard's been around. Uh, you 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 might know him. He's he's still only twenty one, but he's come come through our, our ranks. He played with us in the administration season as a seventeen year old. Lovely feet on him. He, he scores a spectacular goal. So he's usually one of those that he's attacking left, cuts in and hits one from about twenty yards with his right foot and kills it around the keeper into the far bottom corner. Uh, he does that on a regular basis, five, six, seven times a season, it'll do that. So if I had to pick somebody to score a goal, apart from Charlie Wyke on, on Saturday, Teller Wasgard would definitely be the, the, the guy I'd go to first. And also we've got Stevie Humphries, he's in a, a good vein of form at the moment. We've been playing him as a winger, but he's a centre forward, uh, but we've been playing him out wide. Um, he'll play left for half a game, then he goes on the right. Uh, he's, he's two footed and he's got three goals already as well. But he's a bit of a bulldozer. He's not, you he's not like a, a winger who'll dribble and go around players. He's a, a, a winger who'll just push people out of the way and bulldoze through, you know, through them. Against Cambridge United, they had two players marking him and he just, he was just put, he was like a rugby league player pushing them out of the way as he steamrolled past them. But, um, yeah, he, he's got a bit of power and pace about him and he's not frightened of it in a, sh- a shot, whether it's with his, his left foot or his right foot. So I'd go for Salo Asgard and Stevie Humphries. In terms of style of play then, I mean, it looks like Wigan aren't a team that tend to come out and look for a point. In the, I mean, Portsmouth have drawn the joint most games in the league this season so far alongside Carlisle. So we've won five, drawn four out of the nine we've played. Wigan have only drawn one out of the eight you've played. Is that the equivalent of always chasing the game and looking for a result? Or is that just a, a coincidence of how the games seem to have transpired that you've been involved in so far? I, th- I think um, there's a philosophy in, in the team that one win is better than two draws. You know, a win and a defeat is better than two draws. So we're going for the win. But we we, we, we don't go gung-ho. We definitely play to a certain style. We play out from the back. Uh, goalkeeper to centre backs to goalkeeper to centre backs to to midfielder who drops just in front of the centre backs and then he'll knock it out to one of the centre backs who's gone into the right back position who will then carry it forward. It's that type of build up, you know. But it's it's if you remember what we were like under Martinez when Roberto Martinez was our manager, it's it's very similar to that. Maloney uh, worked with Martinez at Belgium. He played under Martinez. He studied at the Johan Cruyff coaching school, which. Martinez is a you know a great believer in Christ style as well. So that Wigan Athletic now are, are very similar to Wigan Athletic under Martinez in style. I don't mean in quality, yeah. obviously not, you know, but in style, definitely that type of football. But we we do go for the wins, you know. We're not uh, we, we'll not sit back and be content with a draw. We do go out looking for the wins, and sometimes you know you can that can get you undone. Like we played Blackpool away, we equalised in the ninety second minute, and we went for the winner. Uh, unfortunately, Blackpool scored it. So you said your prediction this week, Barry, just to sort of zoom out a little bit on the league it was ten to fourteenth for Wigan. Is that just basically the general fan base view that a consolidation season is what is really needed? Or is there a sort of deep down within you, is there a disappointment if you, or in the fan base, if you don't, as a minimum, you know, push for playoffs, even with that that deduction at the start of the season? 
The sensible lads are saying consolidation. Uh, that's everybody, not I, that's not what I asked. They didn't ask. No. Me well, uh, all right. The, the, <laughs> everybody was saying consolidation at the start of the season. Mm. We lost against Bristol Rovers, and you get the meltdown. This team, you know, we should be we should be pushing further. Well, we shouldn't. We shouldn't be pushing further up. Uh, I, I think personally, I don't think it's good enough to, to go up this season. I do not think we're good mm. enough to go up, even without the eight points deduction. So you can you can tell how I feel about the fact that we've got an eight points deduction. You'll probably find us lower mid table at the end, and I'd be absolutely delighted with that. And then that gives you the platform for next season to build yeah. up, and it gives them young lads a year's experience. And I think that'll be a, it'll be a fantastic learning curve this season for them. We're going to pick up the wins, the defeats. I mean, you know, we lose at Bristol Rovers and take a bit of a pasting. Top of the league come down, not one, not been beaten in twenty games. We could turn around and beat you as that that kickback from it, and and that's part of the learning curve of of learning how to pick yourselves up again, isn't it? And mm. and carry carry the team forward. But then again, you might come and beat us, and that's another learning curve. And as long as they're learning each week. As a young side and developing, I'm happy. It's too good to go down, even with minus eight points. This team is is far too good to go down, but there's no way we're going to threaten the top of the league. That's far too level-headed and logical for my liking <laughs> on this podcast, Barry. I, I wanted something a bit more reactionary and then sort of inflammatory. So you, you've disappointed me a little bit there, even though I agree with all the sentiments you've made. I think, Just Andy, before... I think the, prob- the problem is with it is the fact that we've we've been done twice in administration, and we got done again by getting promoted too mm. quickly both times. We've gone up in, into the championship, and the owners haven't been prepared be prepared to to back the club, and it's left us in such a precarious position. And realistically, we don't want to see that happen again. We want it to be more steady. I mean, you yourselves know what it's like. You know, you dropped down. You you dropped down to the bottom division, didn't you? And your rise back up has been. It's been. It's, I think it's been brilliant because you're taking it one step at a time. I mean, it might be a little bit slower than what you're all yeah. for. The, but, the last step does seem a little while ago, Barry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I take your point. But at least you're doing it right. I mean, look at yeah. Plymouth. Plymouth have gone up what, this last season and it's mm. taken them a while. But yeah. they're making a mark now in the Championship. And that's what you want to do. You want to make a mark when you go up and not find yourself, you know, in threat and danger of losing the club again. So the final League One overall question I want to ask you, Barry, is the teams that you've seen Wigan play so far this season, who would you say are the strongest side that you've come up against and who are the weakest sides you've seen Wigan turn out against thus far? I tell you, it did impress me. Uh, it's a bit of a strange one because we beat them, but um, Northampton Town, thought they played lovely football, some some really good players. I, I, I did pick Portsmouth for promotion as well at the start of the season so I'm not surprised by your start Bolton absolutely shocking honestly they were shocking against us but they always are I mean it's it's an horrible club with an horrible manager an horrible fan base absolutely disgusting I mean we keep they don't even play in Bolton they play in in the district of Wigan called Orich I mean we're absolute I mean it's the tough sheet stadium they've got the right name for it haven't they you know and and they did some crying that day I tell you the ground was empty on 70 minutes and it's the last two times we've been up there we've done it some so we're a tennis shadow over the worst team I've seen and the worst club Bolton Wanderers um, and the best team I I mean I did like I did like Northampton but you know I did they weren't the best team that I've seen, I don't think. But 
I'm going to go with them because I thought they were very, very refreshing. They played good football. They got at us. Is it Hoskins up front? I think it's Hoskins. Yeah, Sam, Sam Hoskins, isn't it? Scored a cracking, cracking goal against us. Yeah. Uh, they were very unfortunate to lose, if I'm being honest. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was refreshing to see their attitude to the game. So yeah, I'll go, I'll go with Northampton. I do wish you'd get off the fence a little bit on the Bolton Wanderers topic though. <laughs> no, it's nice to have that inflammatory response I did want. Um, just yeah. a couple of questions later. Uh, so final question relating to football. Predictions for the weekend from a Wigan point of view. Uh, predicted score, please, and any goal scorers for either side. It's a tough... I mean, I'd take a draw, but I'm not going to go for a draw. I, I want us uh, I want us to, to do a, a little bit of damage and get us out that bottom four. I'm going to go for a 2-1 win. Uh, Charlie White, Tello Asgard, scoring two goals after we've fallen behind to a third minute. Colby Bishop strike for Portsmouth, who catches us cold. The fans said it's good down, but we, we pick it back up in the second half. And uh, at the end, we're all singing, oh, Sean Maloney to the tune of OK, OK. And uh, yeah, there we are, out the bottom four once again. If that happens, we'll be soundbiting that on the introduction to next week's pod if all of that comes true. Barry, a massive thank you for coming on to the PO Forecast to preview the game. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and the Progress with Unity podcast should they want to listen to either another Portsmouth preview with the two of us, with your your co-hosts as well, or if they want to gloat and listen to the Wigan Athletic debrief after an (laughs) embarrassment at home next week? Where can we find you? You can find us on all your good podcast platforms and some bad ones as well. So Spotify, iTunes, Google, etc., etc. We're on Twitter at PWU Podcast, uh, and we're out every Wednesday and every Sunday. Beautiful. Thank you, Barry. Always a pleasure. As Hugh always says, good luck for the rest of the season, except this weekend. <laughs> I'd feel rude if we did if you were the only team we didn't say that to this season. So yeah, <laughs> all the best. Thank you for coming on the show. Cheers, Andy. Loved it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Barry, for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to chat with you. I'm not going to ask Jack and Freddie what they thought of the interview as much as it would be fun to completely throw them under the bus for an interview they haven't actually heard. But uh, without wanting to repeat too much of Barry's interview that has just been played on the podcast, General Wigan athletic support or feeling seems to be at the moment that a consolidation season of I think Barry said 10 to 14th would be an acceptable way forward for this year which isn't really what I expected to hear going into that conversation if I'm honest with you and the way that he described the the squad and the 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 youthful nature of the squad he really didn't seem to think that there was quite enough experience or depth there to even push for the playoffs, which again, from the outside, did surprise me. Looking purely at their results and the table, which I'm guessing you guys have got nearby, are we surprised that Wigan, even without that points deduction, they, they would only have 13 points at this moment in time? So Jack, I'll throw it over to you. Are you surprised that Wigan haven't climbed the table faster at this point, or is this pretty much what you expected from a Wigan athletic team having had a really fairly dramatic summer, to be honest with you? Yeah, I'd say so, uh, especially when you <clears throat> take into account, and I've not done loads of research on Wigan, I need to read up more on them because uh, they, their manager in their side has interested me, uh, from what I've heard from uh, my mate Dan, who's a Wigan analyst. And yeah, you know, when you try and move towards a, a brand new style of play and you get all of those new bodies in, and you have a tumultuous summer of the ownership and, and all that jazz... I think it's to be expected that, you know, if they had, is it 10 more points or eight more points, they'd be top half-ish. 
And I think that's good for them. I mean, it, you know, if you take that away, they'd probably take that. And as you said, you know, they take us in the 10th to 14th. So I think it's it's fairly, uh, probably above average, to be honest, where they're expecting. And there are always going to be rocks, uh, bumps in the road, rather, caused by rocks when you're trying to bed in new players and a new style of play. So I think they'll be absolutely fine this year. I hope for them they can get their style of play sorted because I like the manager and I think they've got a, a, an interesting squad. What I think you should do, Jack, is uh, have a listen to this podcast back and you can hear far more about their style of play just before this section is cut in. Freddie, can Pompey be one of those rocks that Jack so accurately states can be a bump in the road for a team like Wigan Athletic? Is that is that a prediction for the weekend that is likely to take hold, in your opinion? definitely think so. Looking at Wigan's team... They've got a lot of options going forward, and a lot of them I do like, but I'm struggling to see how they all fit together, especially if they start. Obviously, you've got Charlie White up front with six goals already this season. He looks brilliant, and he looks as if he's going to be that solid League One striker to lead the line an awful lot. They've also got Josh McGuinness, who's always a handful. You've got Callum Lang, who's previously scored a lot of goals at this level. You've also got Stephen Humphreys, who I really liked, and I've wanted Pompey to sign at some point as a not an out-and-out target man, but a striker to to bring people into play. He's got three goals. Don't really see the standouts in their back line. I only, know, I only remember Sean Clare. Charlie Previous. Hughes is one. Charlie Hughes is a fantastic young centre-half. And Liam Morrison is a good, good player as well. Known from Bayern Munich, I believe. Uh, so from Munich to, to Wigan. What a journey. What a step yeah. up in the world. Obviously, yeah. just, he liked the Wigan Beer Festival and just had to get out of Munich. I'll get a Wigan kebab in Munich, famously. It's in the name. <laughs> the culture but shop. Bratwurst, on the other hand, you can get that anywhere in Wigan. So, piece of cake. <laughs> no, Wigan are one of those sides at the moment, so I don't know where they are. And I do agree with the sentiment that probably for them, given the points deduction and given just the complete mess that it was last season off the pitch, a consolidation season is probably all right for them. And if they can get a lot of their young players playing decently... That's a move to the future, and then they can figure out their style of play from there. But I think Pompey will be all right in this game. Look at the previous Williams' previous results; they they can score a lot of goals, but Pompey's defensive is defense is very solid. And I think in Shotherty and Poole, we've definitely got the centre halves to deal with a striker like Charlie White. I think I think we should be able to do with that okay. And if we play a pack and Morel double pivot, should be solid enough to retain possession and control it as well. So no, I'm very positive about this game. I am. I think there's definitely three points there away from home, I think. Yeah, I think we've got, as discussed on the the chat with Barry, young centre-back pairing and a young goalkeeper who's 20, 21, I think it was. And the keeper had a bit of a dodgy game last time out against Bristol Rovers and against a confidence game, isn't it? And what you don't really want before going into quite a big game against, you know, top of the league is a, a poor individual performance in goal against Bristol Rovers. So I think there are there are errors in that defence if we can put enough pressure on early doors. So Freddie, you said you're confident. Let's jump to match predictions and wrap this up. Freddie, can we have your match predictions for Wigan Athletic away, please? I think there's goals in this game. So I'm going to go for a free 2 of win because I do think Wigan will be able to put the ball in the back end a few times but I don't trust that defence at all to be honest goal scorers I will go for Wyke and Humphreys for Wigan but then I'll go for a Bishop Brace and Paddy Lane for goal scorers and I don't want to know what the odds are on that happening fairly high Jack what's your prediction for the weekend I will go I'll go for a 3-2 as well. I'll give a one niche prediction and one goal scorer. Um, the niche prediction is Pompey will concede from a set piece due to Will Norris uh, being a bit flappy and it will get knocked down out of his hands 
uh, and someone's happening at the back post. So, you know, lorry numbers next. And for the goal scorer, I'll go for Alex Robertson. Alex Robertson has got an XG in the league at least all season of 1.99. So it's un- underperformed by nearly two goals. So theory is due a goal. And I think a goal for Alex would be huge because um, he's playing so well. And if he can just add those goals to his game, he'll fly. So yeah, 3-2. Alex Robertson goal and uh, a goal for Wigan from a, a Will Norris flap. Cool. And I will go with a 2-1 Pompey win, I think is what I predicted on the Wigan podcast, and I should probably be consistent. Just in the interest of the league table that you're no doubt keeping for match predictions, Freddie, we probably should do a Wickham prediction as well, although we're not doing an extensive preview on it because we focus on the next game in the calendar and we don't want the podcast to be two hours long. But Tuesday evening, back home at Fratton, we have got Wickham at home, who I think we're running into slightly at the wrong time. They had a very poor start to the season and have found a bit of momentum now under it's Matt Bloomfield, isn't it? Who's uh, who's who's leading them now in the absence of Gareth, Gareth Ainsworth. So without any preview, without any context, without any opposition fan view, Freddie, I would like your prediction for Wickham at home, please, as well. Yeah, you know, they've got Mr. Wickham in the dugout, haven't they? I still don't rate Wickham at all, and I don't know how they overperform as much as they do. So I'm going to go with a 2-0 Pompey win, Colby Bishop brace, Wigan, a Wickham and Naff, etc. Cool. That's a get off the fence, Fred. Jack, just so we get you even further up the uh, the school prediction table at the end of the year, we'll give you as many fixtures as possible. What's your Wickham at home procedure? Tuesday night, flat and under lights. What could go wrong? I've I've seen nothing of Wickham this year, only kind of the thoughts on social media. And I think we're due a loss. I'll be honest. I think we're due a loss. Um, so I'll be miserable. I'll be miserable and say a 1-0 loss to uh, to Wickham. Not because I want it to happen. I feel like we're due one. And that's not saying we've been bad. We haven't. But you've got to lose at some point. Unless we don't we get a gold trophy. I'm so disappointed in you. Arsenal were yeah, due a loss lot, in 2004 as well. No dodgy penalties this time though. Don't. I think we probably need to get over that, but uh, I do not intend to get over it. In the Portsmouth-Wickham game, I'll go with a, a ground-out 1-0 Pompey win. It's not going to be pretty, I don't think. It's not going to be open like the Peterborough game was. I think Wickham are going to come and look for a point. Maybe be a bit more adventurous than Cheltenham, you would sincerely hope. But I don't think it's going to be pretty, but I do think we'll scrape out a slightly nervy 1-0. I just think we're going to win every game, boys, at the moment, to be honest with you. And we're going to sound by that if we lose away against Wigan and at home to, to Wigan before next Wednesday. We can open the podcast with my confidence, but I think that wraps it up for this week. Freddie, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the pod. Uh, hoping to see you next Tuesday. Uh, awesome to be on and uh, yeah, I should be at the game on Tuesday. Beautiful. Jack, same to you. Can you do Tuesday night? Absolutely. So I can abuse you. Mentally, not physically, because I'd be me. Yeah, I get your texts. Uh, they're, they're yeah. really appreciated. I get yours as well. And, you know, it's quite, it's quite even. Take each other down pegs constantly. <laughs> Thank you for coming on, mate. Fairly last minute replacement. Hugh, please do get well soon. Hope everyone is keeping well at home who is listening to this and enjoying the season so far. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, please do pop on to iTunes or Apple Podcasts if you're listening on an iPhone and give us a whatever star review. If you hate the podcast, just ignore the last five seconds of what I've been saying. But yeah, please do give us a review as it pushes us up the uh, the recommendeds on, on iTunes so that people who don't support Portsmouth, who for some reason want to listen to a Portsmouth podcast, cannot avoid us any longer. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Enjoy the games at Wigan and the home game against Wickham. Safe travels to those of you going up to Wigan, and we'll see you next week. So until next time, play up Pompey. 
You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!